Hello everyone and welcome back to the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode we will read chapters 11 and 12 and in the previous episode we read chapters 9 and 10 and basically Cronus's army is now going to attack New York and Percy made a plan f- to split up all of the 40 kids that he had piled gathered and send them to each part of the area that Cronus's army is attacking. And luckily, the Hunters of Artemis also came in and also decided to help Percy uh, with his uh, defense against the monsters. And Percy also negotiated with the river gods and was able to give them a sand dollar, half a sand dollar really, because both of them were arguing. And Percy split it, decided to split it between those two, them two, and they were still satisfied and percy just found out that there the that there is a monster leading the arm and the army of the enemies and that it's someone that percy knows very well and it's the minotaur so we will see now how percy will handle the minotaur as we may expect he may do the same thing he did when he first faced the minotaur or he may do something new so now we'll read chapter 11 we break a bridge fortunately blackjack was on duty I did my best taxicab whistle, and within a few minutes, two dark shapes circled out of the sky. They looked like hawks at first, but as they descended, I could make out the long, galloping legs of Pegasi. Yo, boss! Blackjack landed on at a trot, his friend Porcupine right behind him. Man, I thought those wind gods were gonna knock us to Pennsylvania until we said we were with you. Thanks for coming, I told him. Hey, why do Pegasi gallop as they fly anyway? Blackjack whinnied. Why do humans swing their arms as they walk? I don't know, boss. It just feels right. Where to? We need to get to the Williamsburg Bridge, I said. Blackjack lowered his neck. You're darn right, boss. We flew over on the way here and it don't look good. Hop on. On the way to the bridge, a knot formed in the pit of my stomach. The Minotaur was one of the first monsters I'd ever defeated. Four years ago, he nearly killed my mother on Half-Blood Hill. I still had nightmares about that. I'd been hoping he would stay dead for a few centuries, but I should have known my luck wouldn't hold. We saw the battle before we were close enough to make individual make out individual fighters. It was well after midnight now, but the bridge blazed with light. Cars were burning, arcs of fire streamed in both fire directions as flaming arrows and spears sailed through the air. We came in for a low pass, and I saw the Apollo campers retreating. They would hide behind cars and snipe at the approaching army, setting off explosive arrows and dropping caltrops in the road, building fiery barricades wherever they could, dragging sleeping drivers out of their cars to get them out of the harm's way. But the enemy kept advancing. An entire phalanx of draconae marched in the lead, their shields locked together, spear tips bristling over at the top. An occasional arrow would connect with their snaky trunks, or a neck, or a chink in their armor, and the unlucky snake woman would disintegrate. But most of the Apollo arrows glanced harmlessly off their shield wall. About a hundred more monsters marched behind them. Hellhounds leaped ahead of the line from time to time. Most are destroyed with arrows, but one got hold of an Apollo camper and dragged him away. I didn't see what happened to him next. I didn't want to know. There! Ambit called from the back of her pegasus. Sure enough, in the middle of the invading legion was old Beefhead himself. The last time, last time I'd seen the Minotaur, he'd been wearing nothing but his tidy whities. I don't know why, but maybe he'd been shaking out of bed to chase me. This time, he was prepared for battle. From the waist down, he wore standard Greek battle gear, a kilt-like apron of leather and metal flaps, 
bronze greaves covering his legs, and tightly wrapped leather sandals. His top was all bull, hair and hide and muscle leading to a head so large he should have toppled over just from the weight of his horns. He seemed larger than the last time I'd seen him, ten feet tall at least. A double-bladed axe was strapped to his back, but he was too impatient to use it. As soon as he saw me earth circling overhead, or sniffed me more likely since his eyesight was bad, he bellowed and pick up a, picked up a white limousine. Blackjack dive, I yelled. What? The Pegasus asked. No way could he. Holy horse feed. We were at least a hundred feet up, but the limo came sailing toward us, flipping fender over fender like a two-ton boomerang. Annabeth and Porkpie swerved madly to the left while Blackjack tucked in his wings and plunged. The limo sailed over my head, missing by maybe two inches. It cleared the suspension lines of the bridge and fell toward the East River. Monsters jeered and shouted, and the Minotaur picked up another car. Drop us behind the lines with the Apollo cabin, I told Blackjack. Stay in earshot, but get out of danger. I ain't gonna argue, boss. Blackjack swooped down behind an overturned school bus where a couple of campers were hiding. Annabeth and I leaped off as soon as our pegasus hooves touched the pavement. Then Blackjack and Porkpie soared into the night sky. Into the night sky. Michael Yu ran up to us. He was definitely the shortest commando I'd ever seen. He had a bandage cut on his arm. His ferrety face was smeared with soot and his quiver was almost empty. But he was smiling like he was having a great time. Glad you could join us, he said. Where are the other reinforcements? For now, we're it, I said. Then we're dead, he said. You still have your flying chariot? Annabeth asked. Nah, Michael said. Left it at camp. I told Clarice she could have it. Whatever, you know? Not worth fighting about anymore. But she said it was too late. We'd insulted her honor for the last time or some stupid thing. At least you tried, I said. Michael shrugged. Yeah, well, I called her some names when she said she still wouldn't fight. I doubt that helped. Here come the uglies. He drew an arrow and launched it toward the enemy. The arrow made a screaming sound as a flew. When it landed, it unleashed a blast of like a power cord on an electric guitar magnified through the world's largest speakers. The nearest cars exploded. Monsters dropped their weapons and clasped their ears in pain. Some ran. Others disintegrated on the spot. That was my last sonic arrow, Michael said. A gift from your dad? I asked, god of music. Michael grinned wickedly. Loud music can be bad for you. Unfortunately, it doesn't always kill. Sure enough, most monsters were regrouping, sh shaking off their confusion. We have to fall back, Michael said. I've got Kayla and Austin setting traps farther down the bridge. No, I said. Bring your campers forward to this position and wait for my signal. We're going to drive the enemy back to Brooklyn. Michael laughed. <laughs> and how do you plan to do that? I drew my sword. Percy, Ambit said. Let me come with you. Too dangerous, I said. Besides, I need you to help Michael coordinate the defensive line. I'll distract the monsters. You group here. You group up here. Move the sleeping mortals out of the way. Then you can start picking off monsters while I keep them focused on me. If anybody can do all that, you can. Michael snorted. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I kept my eyes on Annabeth. She nodded reluctantly. All right, get moving. Before I could lose my courage, I said, Don't I get a kiss for luck? It's kind of a tradition, right? I figured she would punch me. Instead, she drew her, drew her knife and stared at the enemy marching toward us. Come back alive, seaweed brain. Then we'll see. I figured it was the best offer I would get. So I stepped out from behind the school bus. I walked up the bridge in plain sight, walking toward, straight toward the enemy. When the Minotaur saw me, his eyes burned with hate. He bellowed. A sound that was really between a yell, a moo, and a really loud belch. Hey, beef boy! I shouted back. Didn't I kill you already? 
He pounded his fist into the hood of Alexis, and it crumpled like aluminum foil. A few draconate threw j flaming javelins at me. I knocked them aside. A, a hellhound lunged, and I sidestepped. I could have stabbed it, but I hesitated. This is not Mrs. O'Leary. I reminded myself, this is an untamed monster. It will kill me, me and all my friends. It pounced again. This time, I brought Riptide up in a deadly arc. The hellhound disintegrated into dust and fur. More monsters surged forward, snakes and giants and telkines, but the minotaur roared at them and they backed off. One-on-one, -on -one, I call, just like old times. The minotaur's nostrils quivered. He seriously needed a cap to keep a pack of alo aloe vera Kleenex in his armor pocket because that nose was wet and red and pretty gross. He unstrapped his, he unstrapped his axe and swung it around. It was beautiful in a harsh, I'm gonna kill you like a fish kind of way. Each of his twin blades was shaped like an omega. The last letter of the Greek alphabet. Maybe that was because the axe would be the last thing his victims ever saw. The shaft was about the same height as the minotaur. Bronze wrapped in leather. Tied around the base of each blade were lots of bead necklaces. I realized there were camp half-blood beads. Necklaces taken from defeated demigods. I was so mad I imagined my eyes glowing like just like the minotaurs. I raised my sword. The monster army cheered for the minotaur, but the sound died when I dodged his sword first swing and sliced his axe in half, right between the handholds. Murr? He grunted. Ha! I spun and kicked him in the snout. He staggered backward, trying to regain his footing, then lowered his head to charge. He never got the chance. My sword flashed, slicing off one horn, then the other. He tried to grab me. I rolled away, picking up half of his broken axe. The other monsters backed up in stunned silence, making a circle around us. The Minotaur bellowed in rage. He was never smart to begin with, but now his anger made him reckless. He charged me, and I ran for the edge of the bridge, breaking through a little line of Draconae. The Minotaur must have smelled victory. He thought I was trying to get away. His minions cheered. At the edge of the bridge, I turned and braced the axe against the railing to receive his charge. The Minotaur didn't even slow down. Crunch. He looked down in surprise at the axe handle spouting from his breastplate. Thanks for playing, I told him. I lifted him by his legs and tossed him over the side of the bridge. Eventually, as he fell, he was disintegrating, turning back into dust, his essence returning to Tartarus. I turned toward his enemy, uh, army. It was now roughly 199 to 1. I did the natural thing. I charged him. You're going to ask how the invincible thing worked. If I magically dodged every weapon, or if the weapons hit me and just didn't harm me, honestly, I don't remember. All I knew was that I wasn't going to let these monsters invade my hometown. I sliced through armor like it was made of paper. Snake woman exploded, hellhounds melted to shadow. I slashed and stabbed and whirled. And I might have even laughed once or twice. A crazy laugh that scarred me. That scared me as much as it did my enemies. I was aware of the Apollo campers behind me shooting arrows, disrupting every attempt by the enemy to rally. Finally, the monsters turned and fled, about 20 left alive out of the 200. I followed with the Apollo campers at my heels. Yes! Michael said, Mike, yelled Michael Yu. That's what I'm talking about! We drove them back toward the Brooklyn side of the bridge. The sky was growing pale in the east. I could see the toll stations ahead. Percy! Annabeth yelled, You already rooted them! Pull back! We're overextended! Some part of me knew she, knew she was right, but I was doing so well, I wanted to destroy every last monster. Then I saw the crowd at the base of the bridge. The retreating monsters were running straight toward the reinforcements. It was a small group, maybe 30 or 40 demigods in battle armors mounted on skeletal horses. One of them held, held a purple banner with a black sight design. 
The lead horseman trotted forward. He took off his helm, and I recognized Kronos himself, his eyes like molten gold. Annabeth and the Apollo campers faltered. The monster we'd been pursuing reached the Titan's line and were absorbed into the new force. Kronos gazed into our direction. He was a quarter of a mile away, but I could swear I could see him smile. Now, I said, we pull back. The Titan's lord men drew their swords and charged. The hooves of their skeletal horses thundered against the pavement. Our archers shot a volley, bringing down several of the enemy, but they just kept riding. Retreat, I told my friends. I'll hold them. In a matter of seconds, they were on me. Michael and his archers tried to retreat, but Annabeth stayed right behind me, fighting with her knife and mirrored shield as we slowly backed up the bridge. Kronos' cavalry uh, swirled around us, slashing and yelling insults. The Titan himself advanced leisurely, like he had all the time in the world. Being the lord of the time, I guess he did. I tried to wound his men, not kill. That slowed me down, but these weren't monsters. These were demigods, who'd fallen under Kronos' spell. I, could, I couldn't see faces under their battle helmets, but some of them had probably been my friends. I slashed the legs off their horses and made the skeletal mounts disintegrate. After the first few demigods took a spill, the rest figured that they better dismount and fight me on foot. Annabeth and I stayed shoulder to shoulder, facing opposite directions. A dark shape passed over me, and I dared to glance up. Blackjack and Porkpie were swooping in, kicking our enemies in the helmets and flying away like very large kamikaze pigeons. We'd almost made it to the middle of the bridge when something strange happened. I felt a chill down my spine, like that old saying about someone walking down your grave. Behind me, Annabeth cried out in pain. Annabeth! I turned in time to see her fall, clutching her arm. A demigod with a bloody knife stood over her. In a flash, I understood what had happened. He'd been trying to stab me. Judging from the position of his blade, he would have taken me. Maybe by sheer luck, in the small of my back, my only weak point. Annabeth had intercepted the knife with her own body. But why? She didn't know about my weak spot. No one did. I locked eyes with the enemy demigod. He wore an eye patch under his war helm. Ethan Nakamura, the son of Nemesis. Somehow, he'd survived the explosion on the Princess Andromeda. I slammed him in the face with my sword hilt so hard I dented his helm. Get back! I slashed the air in a white arc, driving the rest of the demigods away from Annabeth. No one touches her! Interesting, Krono said. He towered over above me on his skeletal horse, his scythe in one hand. He studied the scene with narrowed eyes as if he, as if he could sense that I had just come close to death, the way a wolf can smell fear. Bravely fought, Percy Jackson, he said, but it's time to surrender, or the girl dies. Percy, don't. Ambeth groaned. Her shirt was soaked with blood. I had to get out of here. Blackjack! I yelled. As fast as light, the Pegasus swooped down and clamped his teeth on the straps of Annabeth's armor. They soared away over the river before the enemy could even react. Kronos snarled. <sighs> Someday soon, I'm going to make Pegasus soup. But in the meantime, he dismounted, his scythe glistening in the dawn light. I'll settle for another dead demigod. I met his first strike with Riptide. The impact shook the entire bridge, but I held my ground. Kronos' smile wavered. With a yell, I kicked his legs out from under him. His sight skittered across the pavement. I stabbed downward, but he rolled aside and regained his footing. His scythe flew back, back to his hands. So, he studied me, looking mildly annoyed. You had the courage to visit the sticks. I had to pressure Luke in many ways to convince him. If only you had supplied my host body instead. But no matter, I'm still more powerful. I am a titan. 
He struck the bridge with the butt of his scythe, and a wave of pure force blasted me backward. Cars went careening, demigods, even Luke's own men were blown off the edge of the bridge. Suspension cords whipped around, and I skidded halfway back to Manhattan. I got unsteadily to my feet. The remaining Apollo campers had almost made it to the end of the bridge, except for Michael Yu, who was perched on one of the suspension cables a few yards away from me. His last arrow was notched in his bow. Michael, go! I screamed. Percy, the bridge, he called. It's already weak. At first, I didn't understand. Then I looked down and saw fissures in the pavement. Patches of the road were half-melted from Greek fire. The bridge had taken a beating from Kronos' bow blast and the exploding arrows. Break it! Use your powers! Michael yelled. It was a desperate thought. No way it would work, but I stabbed Riptide into the bridge. The magic blade sank into it to its hilt in the asphalt. Salt water shot from the crack like I hit a geyser. I pulled out my blade and the fissure grew. The bridge shook and began to crumble. Chunks the size of houses fell into the East River. Cronus's demigods cried out in alarm and scrambled backwards. Some of them were knocked off their feet. Within a few seconds, a 50-foot chasm opened in the Williamsburg Bridge between Kronos and me. The vibrations died. Kronos' men crept to the edge and looked at the 130-foot drop into the river. I didn't feel safe, though. The suspension cables were still attached. The men could get across that way if they were brave enough. Or maybe Kronos had a magic way to span the gap. The Time Lord studied the problem. He looked behind him at the rising sun, then smiled across the chasm. He raised his scythe in a mock salute. Until this evening, Jackson. He he mounted his horse, whirled around, and galloped back to Brooklyn, followed by his warriors. I turned to thank Michael Yu, but the words died in my throat. Twenty feet away, a a bow lay in the street. Its owner was nowhere to be seen. No! I searched the wreckage on my side of the bridge. I stared down at the river. Nothing. I yelled in anger and frustration. The sound carried forever in the morning stillness. I was about to whistle for Blackjack to help me search when my mom's phone rang. The LCD display said I had a call from Finkelstein and his associates. Probably a demigod calling on a borrowed phone. I picked up, hoping for good news. Of course I was wrong. Percy? Selena Beauregard sounded like she'd been crying. Plaza Hotel, you better come quickly and bring a healer from Paula's cabin. It's... It's Annabeth. And that is the end of chapter 11. I really hope that Annabeth is okay and didn't get any severe uh, injuries from that stab. And hopefully Apollo, though someone from the Apollo cabin is able to heal Annabeth. But we will find out what, what happens to Annabeth when we read chapter 12. Rachel makes a bad deal right after this break. And we are back from the ads, and now we'll read chapter 12, Rachel Makes a Bad Deal. I grabbed Will Solis from the Apollo cabin and told the rest of his siblings to keep searching for Michael Yu. We borrowed a Yamaha FZ1 from a sleeping biker and drove to the Plaza Hotel at speeds that would have given my mom a heart attack. I'd never driven a motorcycle motorcycle before, but it wasn't any harder than riding a Pegasus. Along the way, I noticed a lot of empty pedestals that usually held statues. Plan 23 seemed to be working. I didn't know if that was good or bad. It only took us five minutes to reach the plaza, an old-fashioned white stone hotel with a gabled blue roof, sitting at the southeast corner of Central Park. Tactically speaking, the plaza wasn't the best place for a headquarters. It wasn't the tallest building in town or the most centrally located, but it had old-school style and had attracted a lot of famous demigods over the years, 
like the Beatles and Af- Alfred Hitchcock, so I figured we were in good company. I gunned the Yamaha over the curb and swerved to a stop at this fountain outside the hotel. Will and I hopped off. The statue at the top of the fountain called down. Oh, fine. I suppose you want me to watch your bike, too. She was a life-size bronze standing in the middle of a granite bowl. She wore only a bronze sheet around her legs, and she was holding a basket of metal fruit. I never paid her too much attention before. Then again, she never talked to me before. Are you supposed to be Demeter? I asked. A bronze apple sailed over my head. Everyone thinks I'm Demeter, she complained. I'm Pompona, the Roman goddess of plenty. But why should you care? Nobody cares about the minor gods. If you cared about the minor gods, you wouldn't be losing this war. Three cheers for Morpheus and Hecate, I say. Watch the bike, I told her. Pompona cursed in Latin and threw more fruit as Will and I ran toward the hotel. I'd never actually been inside the plaza. The lobby was impressive with the crystal chandeliers and the passed out rich people. But I didn't pay much attention. A couple of hunters gave us directions to the elevators, and we rode up to the penthouse suites. Demigods had completely taken over the top floors. Campers and hunters were crashed out on sofas, washing up in the bathrooms, ripping silk draperies to bandage their wounds, and helping themselves to snacks and sodas from the minibars. A couple of timber wolves were drinking out of the toilets. I was, revealed to, I was relieved to see that so many of my friends had made it through the night alive, but everyone looked beat up. Percy! Jake Mason clapped me on the shoulder. We're getting reports. Later, I said. Where's Annabeth? The terrorist. She's alive, man, but I pushed past him. Under different circumstances, I would have loved the view from the terrorist. It looked straight down onto Central Park. The morning was clear and bright, perfect for a picnic or a hike, or pretty much anything except fighting monsters. Annabeth lay on a lounge chair. Her face was pale and beaded with sweat. Even though she was covered in blankets, she shivered. Selena Beauregard was wiping her forehead with a cool cloth. Will and I pushed through a crowd of Athena kids. Will unwrapped Annabeth's bandages to examine the wound, and I wanted to faint. The bleeding had stopped, but the gash looked deep. The skin around the cut was a horrible shade of green. Annabeth, I choked up. She'd taken that knife from me. How could I have let that happen? Poison on the dagger, she mumbled. Pretty stupid of me, huh? Will's solace excelled in really with relief. It's not so bad, Annabeth. A few more minutes and we would have been in trouble, but the venom hasn't got past the shoulder yet. Just lie still. Somebody hand me some nectar. I grabbed a canteen. Will cleaned out the wound with a go- with a godly drink while I held Annabeth's hand. Ow, she said. Ow, ow! She gripped my fingers so tight they turned purple, but she still she stayed still, like Will asked. Selena muttered words of encouragement. Will put some silver paste over the wound and hummed, hummed words in ancient Greek, a hymn to Apollo. Then he applied fresh bandages and stood up shakily. The healing must have taken a lot of his energy. He looked almost as pale as Annabeth. That should do it, he said, but we're going to need some moral supplies. He grabbed a piece of hotel stationery, jotted down some notes, and handed it to one of the Athena guys. There's a Dwayne Reed on 5th. Normally, I would never steal. I would, Travis volunteered. Will glared at him. Leave cash or drachmas to pay, whatever you got. But this is an emergency. I've got a feeling we're going to have to have a lot of more people to treat. Nobody disagreed. There was hardly a single demigod who hadn't already been wounded, except me. Come on, guys, Travis Stoll said. Let's give Annabeth some space. We've got a drugstore to raid. I mean, visit. The demigod shuffled back inside. Jake Mason grabbed my shoulder as he was leaving. We'll talk later, but it's under control. I'm using Annabeth's shield to keep an eye on things. The enemy withdrew at sunrise. Not sure why. We've got to look at each bridge and tunnel. 
Thanks, man, I said. He nodded. Just take your time. We closed the terrace doors behind him, leaving Selena, Annabeth, and me alone. Selena pressed a cool cloth to Annabeth's forehead. This is all my fault. No, Annabeth said weakly. Selena, how is it your fault? I've never been any good at camp, she murmured. Not like you or Percy. If I was a better fighter, her mouth trembled. Ever since Beckendorf died, she'd been getting worse. And every time I look at her, it made me angry about his death all over again. Her expression reminded me of glass, like she might break any minute. I swore to myself that if I ever found the spy who'd cost her boyfriend his life, I would give him to Mrs. O'Leary as a chew toy. You're a great camper, I told Selena. You're the best Pegasus ride we have. And you get along with people. Believe me, anyone who can make friends with Clarice has talent. She stared at me like I'd just given her an idea. That's it! We need the Ares cabin. I can talk to Clarice. I know I can convince her to help us. Whoa, Selena, even if you could get off the island, Clarice is pretty stubborn. Once she gets angry... Please, Selena said. I can take a Pegasus. I know I can make it back to camp. Let me try. I exchanged looks with Annabeth. She nodded slightly. I didn't like the idea. I didn't think Selena stood a chance of convincing Clarice to fight. On the other hand, Selena was so distracted right now that maybe she would just get herself hurt in battle. Maybe sending her sending her back to camp would give her something else to focus on. All right, I told her. I can't think of anybody better to try. Selena threw her arms around me. Then she pushed back awkwardly, awkwardly glancing at Annabeth. Uh, I'm sorry. Thank you, Percy. I won't let you down. Once she was gone, I knelt next to Annabeth and felt her forehead. She was still burning up. You're cute when you worried, she muttered. Your eyebrows get all scrunched together. You are not going to die while I owe you a favor, I said. Why did you take that knife? You would have done the same for me. It was true. I guess we both knew it. Still, I felt like somebody was poking my heart with a cold metal rod. How did you know? Know what? I looked around to make sure we were alone. Then I leaned in close and whispered, My Achilles spot. If you hadn't taken that knife, I would have died. She got a faraway look in her eyes. Her breath smelled of, smelled of grapes, maybe from the nectar. I don't know, Percy. I just had this feeling you were in danger. Where, where is the spot? I wasn't supposed to tell anyone, but this was Annabeth. If I couldn't trust her, I couldn't trust anyone. Small on my back. She lifted her hand. Where? Here? She put her hand on my spine, and my skin tingled. I moved her fingers to this one spot that grounded me to my mortal life. A thousand volts of electricity seemed to arc through my body. You saved me, I said. Thanks. She removed her hand, but I kept holding it. So you owe me, she said weakly. What else is new? We watched the sun come up over the city. The traffic should have been heavy by now, but there were no cars honking, no crowds bustling along the sidewalks. Far away, I could hear a car alarm echo through the streets. A plume of black smoke curled into the sky somewhere over Harlem. I wondered how many ovens had been left on when the Morpheus spell hit. How many people had fallen asleep in the middle of cooking dinner? Pretty soon, there would be more fires. Everyone in New York was in danger, and all those lives depended on us. You asked me why Hermes was mad at me. Ambit said, hey, you need to rest. No, I want to tell you. It's been bothering me for a long time. She moved her shoulder and winced. Last year, when Luke came to see me in San Francisco. In person? I felt like she just hit me with a hammer. He came to her house? This was before we went into the labyrinth. Before she faltered. But I knew what she meant. Before he turned into Kronos. He came under a flag of truce. He said he only wanted five minutes to talk. 
He looked scared, Percy. He told me Kronos was going to use him to take over the world. He said he wanted to run away like the old days. He wanted me to come with him. But you didn't trust him. Of course not. I thought it was a trick. Plus, well, a lot of things had changed since the old days. I told Luke there was no way he got... There was no way. He got mad. He said... He said I might as well fight him right there because it was the last chance I'd get. Her forehead broke out in sweat again. The story was taking too much of her energy. It's okay, I said. Try to get some rest. You don't understand, Percy. Hermes was right. Maybe if I'd gone with him, I could have changed his mind or... Or I had a knife. Luke was unarmed. I could have killed him. I said, you know that would have been right. She squeezed her eyes shut. Luke said Kronos would use him like a stepping stone. Those were his exact words. Kronos would use Luke and become even more powerful. He did that, I said. He possessed Luke's body. But what if Luke's body is only a transition? What if Kronos has a plan to become even more powerful? I could have stopped him. The war is my fault. Her story made me feel like I was back in the sticks, slowly dissolving. I remember last summer when the two-headed god Janus had warned Annabeth she would have to make a major choice. And that happened after she saw Luke. Pan also had also said something to her. You'll play a great role, though it may not be the role you imagined. I wanted to ask her about the vision Hestia had shown me, about her early days with Luke and Thalia. I knew it had to do something with, the pro- with my prophecy, but I didn't understand what. Before I could get up my nerve, the chair's door opened. Connor stole stepped through. Percy. He glanced at Annabeth like he didn't want to say anything bad in front of her, but I couldn't tell he wasn't bringing good news. Mrs. Aldery just came back with Grover. I think you should talk to him. Grover was having a snack in the living room. He was dressed for battle in an armored shirt made from tree bark and twisties, with his wooden cudgel and his reed pipes hanging from his belt. The Demeter cabin had whipped up a whole buffet in the hotel's cabin kitchen, everything from pizza to pineapple ice cream. Unfortunately, Grover was eating the furniture. He'd already chewed the stuffing off the fancy chair and was now gnawing the armrest. Dude, I said, we're only borrowing this place. Blah! He had stuffing all over his face. Sorry, Percy, it's just Louis the sixteenth furniture. Delicious, delicious. Plus, I always get furniture when I get, when you get nervous. I said, yeah, I know. So what's up? He clapped on his hooves. I heard about Annabeth. Is she... She's going to be fine. She's resting. Grover took a deep breath. That's good. I, I mobilized one of most of the stiffest nature spirits in the city. Well, the one that will listen to me anyway. He rubbed his forehead. I had no idea acorns could hurt, could hurt so much. Anyway, we're helping as, as, out as much as we can. He told me about the skirmishes they'd seen. Mostly, they'd been covering Uptown, where we didn't have enough demigods. Hellhounds had appeared in all sorts of places, shadow traveling inside her lines, and the dryads and satyrs had been fighting them off. A young dragon had appeared in Harlem, and a dozen wood nymphs died before the monster was finally defeated. As Grover talked, Talia entered the room with two of her lieutenants. She nodded to me grimly, went outside to check on Annabeth, and came back in. She listened while Grover completed his report, details getting worse and worse. We lost 20 satyrs against some giants at Fort Washington, he said, his voice trembling. Almost half of my kinsmen. River spirits drowned the giants in the end, but... Talia shouldered her bow. Percy, Kronos' forces are still gathering at every bridge and tunnel, and Kronos isn't the only titan. One of my hunters spotted a huge man in golden armor mustering an army on the Jersey Shore. I'm not sure who he is, 
but he radiates power like only a titan or god. I remembered the golden titan from my dream, the one on Mount Othrius, who erupted into flames. Great, I said. Any good news? Talia shrugged. We sealed off the subway tunnels into Manhattan. My best trappers took care of it. Also, it seems like the enemy is waiting for tonight to attack. I think Luke... She caught herself. I mean, Kronos needs time to regenerate after each fight. He's still not comfortable with his new form. It's taking a lot of his power to slow time around the city. Grover nodded. Most of his forces are more powerful at night, too. But they'll be back after sundown. I try to think clearly. Okay, any word from the gods? Talia shook her head. I know Lady Artemis will be here if she could. Athena, too. But Zeus has ordered them to stay at his side. The last I heard, Typhon was destroying the Ohio River Valley. He should reach the Appalachian Mountains by midday. So at best, I said, we've got another two days before he arrives. Jake Mason cleared his throat. He'd been standing there so silently that I almost forgotten he was in the room. Percy, something else, he said. The way Kronos showed up at the Williamsburg Bridge, like he knew you were going there, and he shifted his forces to our weakest points. As soon as we deployed, he changed tactics. He barely touched the Lincoln Tunnel, where the hunters were strong. He went for our weakest spots, like he knew. Like he had inside information, I said. The spy. What spy? Talia demanded. I told her about the silver charm Kronos had shown me. The communication device. That's bad, she said. Very bad. It could be anyone, Jake said. We were all standing there when Percy gave the orders. But what can we do? Grover asked. Frisk every demigod until we find a sight charm? They all looked at me, waiting for a decision. I couldn't afford to show how panicked I felt, even if things seemed hopeless. We keep fighting, I said. We can't obsess about this spy. If we're suspicious of each other, we'll just tear ourselves apart. You guys were awesome last night. I couldn't ask for a braver army. Let's set up a rotation for the watches. Rest up while you can. We've got a long night ahead of us. The demigods mumbled agreement. They went their separate ways to sleep, or eat, or to repair the weapons. Percy, you too, Talia said. We'll keep an eye on things. Go lie down. We need you in good shape for tonight. I didn't argue too hard. I found the nearest bedroom and crashed on the canopied bed. I thought I was too wired to sleep, but my eyes closed almost immediately. In my dream, I saw Nico D'Angelo alone in the gardens of Hades. He just dug a hole in one of Persephone's flower beds, which I didn't figure would make the queen very happy. He poured a goblet of wine into the hole and began to chant. Let the dead taste them again. Let them rise and take this offering. Maria D'Angelo, show yourself. White smoke gathered. A human formed. A, fi- a human figure formed. But it wasn't Nico's mother. It was a girl with dark hair, olive skin, and the silvery clothes of a hunter. Bianca, Nico said. But don't summon our Nico, our mother, from Nico, she warned. She is the one spirit you are forbidden to see. Why? He demanded. What's her father hiding? Pain, Bianca said. Hatred, a curse that stretches back to the great prophecy. What do you mean? Nico said. I have to know. The knowledge will only hurt you. Remember what I said. Holding grudges is a fatal flaw for children of Hades. I know that, Nico said. But I'm not the same as I used to be, Bianca. Stop trying to protect me. Brother, you don't understand. Nico swiped his hand through the mist and Bianca's image dissipated. Maria D'Angelo, he said again. Speak to me. A different image formed. It was a scene rather than a single ghost. In the mist, I saw Nico and Bianca's little children playing in the lobby of an elegant hotel, chasing each other around marble columns. A woman sat on a nearby sofa. 
She wore a black dress, gloves, and a black veiled hat like a star from the 1940s movie. She had Bianca's smile and Nika's eyes. On a chair next to her sat a oil, large, oily man in a black pinstripe suit. With a shock, I realized it was Hades. He was leaning toward the woman, using his hands as he talked, like he was agitated. Please, my dear, he said, you must come to the underworld. I don't care what Persephone thinks. I can keep you safe there. No, my love, she spoke with an Italian accent. Raise our children and children in the land of the dead? I will not do this. Maria, listen to me. The war in Europe has turned the other gods against me. A prophecy has been made. My children are no longer safe. Poseidon and Zeus have forced me into agreement. None of us are, dem- ha- are to have demigod children ever again. But you already have Nico and Bianca. Surely, no. The prophecy warns of a child who turns 16. Zeus has decreed that the children I currently have must be turned over to Camp Half-Blood for proper training. But I know what he means. At best, they'll be watched, imprisoned, turned against their father. Even more likely, he will not take a chance. He won't allow my demigod children to reach 16. He'll find, a, he'll find a way to destroy them, and I won't risk that. Certamente, Maria said. We will stay together. Zeus is an imbecile. I couldn't help admiring her courage, but Hades glanced nervously at the ceiling. Maria, please, I told you. Zeus gave me a deadline of last week to turn over the children. His wrath will be horrible, and I cannot hide you forever. As long as you're with the children, you are in danger too. Maria smiled, and again it was creepy how much she looked like her daughter. You are a god, my love. You will protect us. But I will not take Nico and Bianca to the underworld. Hades wrung his hands. Then there is another option. I know a place in the desert where time stands still. I could send the children there just for a while for their own safety and we can be together. I will build you a golden palace by the sticks. Marco, Mia, Maria D'Angelo laughed gently. You are a kind man, my love. A generous man. The other gods should see you as I do. And they would not fear you so. But Nico and Bianca need their mother. Besides, they are only children. The gods wouldn't really hurt them. You don't know my family, Hades said darkly. Please, Maria, I can't lose you. She touched his lips with her fingers. You will not lose me. Wait for me while I get my purse. Watch the children. She kissed the Lord of the Dead and rose from the sofa. Hades watched her walk upstairs as if her every step away caused him pain. A moment later, he tensed. The children stopped playing as if they tensed some sense something too no Hades said but even his godly powers were too slow he only had time to erect a wall of black energy around the children before the hotel exploded the force was so violent the entire mist image dissolved when it came into focus again I saw Nate and Hades kneeling in the ruins holding the broken form of Maria D'Angelo fire still burned all around him lightning flashed across the sky and thunder rumbled little Nico and Bianca stared at their mother uncomprehendingly the fury Electo appeared behind them, hissing and flapping her leathery wings. The children didn't seem to notice her. Zeus! Hades shook his fist at the sky. I will crush you for this. I will bring her back. My lord, you cannot, Electo warned. You of all more immortals must respect the laws of death. Hades glowed with rage. I thought he would show his true form and vaporize his own children, but the last moment he seemed to regain control. Take them. He told Electo, choking back a sob. Wash their memories clean in the leth and bring them to the hotel's Lotus Hotel. Zeus will not harm them there. As you, as you wish, my lord, Electo said. And the woman's body? Take her as well, he said bitterly. Give her the ancient rites. Electo, the children, and Maria's body dissolved into shadows. 
leaving, leaving Hades alone in the ruins. I warned you, a new voice said. Hades turned. A girl in a multicolored dress stood by the smoldering remains of the sofa. She had short black hair and side eyes. She was no more than 12. I didn't know her, but she looked strangely familiar. You dare come here? Hades growled. I should blast you to dust. You cannot, the girl said. The power of Delphi protects me. With a chill, I realized I was looking at the Oracle of Delphi. Back when she was alive and young. Somehow, seeing her like this was even spookier than seeing her as a mummy. You killed the woman I loved, Hades roared. Your prophecy brought us to this. He loomed over the girl, but she didn't flinch. Zeus ordained the explosion to destroy the children, she said. Because you defied his will, I had nothing to do with it. And I did warn you to hide them sooner. I couldn't. Maria would not let me. Besides, they were innocent. Nevertheless, they are your children, which makes them dangerous. Even if you put them away in the Lotus Hotel, you only delay the problem. Nico and Bianca will never be able to rejoin the world, lest they turn 16. Because of your so-called great prophecy. And you have forced me into an oath to have no other children. You have left me with nothing. I foresee the future, the girl said. I cannot change it. Black fire lit the god's eyes, and I knew something bad was coming. I wanted to yell at the girl to hide or run. Then Oracle, hear the words of Hades, he growled. Perhaps I cannot bring back Maria, nor I can, can I bring you an early death. But your soul is still mortal, and I can curse you. The girl's eyes widened. You would not. I swear, Hades said, as long as my children remain outcasts, as long as I labor under the curse of your great prophecy, the Oracle of Delphi will never have another mortal host. You will never rest in peace. No other will take your place. Your body will wither and die, and still the oracle's spirit will be locked inside you. You will speak your bitter prophecies until you crumble to nothing. The oracle will die with you. The girl screamed, and the misty image was blasted to shreds. Nico fell to his knees in Persephone's garden, his face white with shock. Standing in front of him was the real Hades, towering in his black robes and scowling down at his son. And just what... He asked Nico, Do you think you're doing? A black explosion filled my dreams. Then the scene changed. Rachel Elizabeth Dare was walking along, along a wide sand beach. She wore a swimsuit with a t-shirt wrapped around her waist. Her shoulders and face were sunburned. She knelt and began writing in the surf with her finger. I tried to make out the letters. I thought my dyslexia was acting up until I realized she was writing in ancient Greek. That was impossible. The dream had to be false. Rachel finished writing a few words and muttered, What in the world? I can read Greek, but I only recognize one word before the sea washed it away. My name, Perseus. Rachel stood abruptly and backed away from the surf. Oh, gods, she said, that's what it means. She turned and ran, kicking up sand as she raced back to her sand family's villa. She pounded up the porch steps, breathing hard. Her father looked up from his Wall Street journal. Dad! Rachel marched up to him. We have to go back. Her dad's mouth twitched like he was trying to remember how to smile. Back? We just got here. There's trouble in New York. Percy's in danger. Did he call you? No, not exactly, but I know. It's a feeling. Mr. Dare folded up his newspaper. Your mother and I have been looking forward to this vacation for a long time. No, you haven't. You both hate the beach. You're just too stubborn to admit it. Now, Rachel, 
I'm telling you, something is wrong in New York. The whole city, I, I don't know what exactly, but it's under attack. Her father sighed. I think we would have heard something like that on the news. No, Rachel insisted, not this kind of attack. Have you had any calls since we got here? Her father frowned. No, but it is the weekend in the middle of the summer. You always get calls, Rachel said. You've got to admit that's strange. Her father hesitated. We can't just leave. We spent a lot of money. Look, Rachel said. Daddy, Percy Mead needs me. I have to deliver a message. It's life and death. What message? What are you talking about? I can't tell you. Then you can't go. Rachel closed his eye, her eyes and like she was trying to getting like she was getting her, her courage. Dad, let me go and I'll make a deal with you. Mr. Dare sat forward. Deals were something he understood. I'm listening. Clarion Ladies Academy. I, I'll go there in the fall. I won't even complain. But you have to get me back to New York right now. He was silent for a long time. Then he opened his phone and made a call. Douglas, prep the plane. We're leaving for New York. Yes, immediately. Rachel flung his her arms around him, and her father seemed surprised like she never hugged him before. I'll make it up to you, Dad. He smiled, but his expression was chilly. He studied her like she was he wasn't seeing this daughter. His daughter, just the young lady he wanted her to be. Once Clarion Academy got through with her. Yes, Rachel, he agreed. You certain you most certainly will. The scene the scene faded. I mumbled in my sleep. Rachel, no. I was still tossing and turning when Talia shook me awake. Percy, she said, come on, it's late afternoon. We've got visitors. I sat up disoriented. The bed was too comfortable, and I hated sleeping in the middle of the day. Visitors? I said. I said. Talia nodded grimly. A Titan wants to see you. Under a flag of truce. He has a message from Kronos. And that is the end of chapter 12. Well, I'm very curious to see what this kind of negotiation and this flag of truce conversation will be. But we'll have to see what that is next week when we read chapters 13 and 14. And once again, I do apologize for uploading late, but hope, but hopefully I will, uh, I will be able to upload normally uh, within time. And so until then, we'll wait until next week to read chapters 13 and 14 to find out what this flag of truce conversation will possibly be. So until then, stay safe and stay out of boredom.